Hello, and welcome to episode 17 of the In The Clutch podcast. My name is Drew Clutchy, and this week I'm actually not here alongside my co-host Jeremy Wilson. Due to the coordination of Easter weekend, Jared and I weren't able to line up to record the podcast this week, but we wanted to make sure, given the start of the NBA playoffs, that we get an episode out. So this week, I'm here alongside my a close friend of mine, Mitchell Adamson. How are you doing today, Mitch? I'm doing great, Drew. Really excited to be on this podcast. How are you? I'm doing awesome. It's great to have you on. I'm sure the listeners are looking forward to getting some new voices in here. We're hoping to bring on some more guests as we roll into the summer months and the season starts to finish up. So if you want to be on the, on the In the Clutch podcast, shoot me a message and let me know because I'd love to have some more friends on yeah, here. Yeah, for sure. We'll see how it goes. So, absolutely. So we got through the play-in game, the play-in games this week, and boy, were they ever exciting! I love the play-in tournament system. Yes, sir. I think a lot more other sports such, should adopt it as well, just like hockey. It's well, and it prevents the tanking of teams, right? Because normally in other leagues, like especially hockey, and previously in basketball, especially in basketball, the better teams with the better players win, like a lot. Like you have multiple teams that get sixty-two wins in a season. And then a lot of teams that are like 20 wins and 62 losses. So I think to have that 8, 9, 10 teams that are kind of contending for the play-in and then 11 and 12 are just on the outside looking in, so they're also looking to get into the play-in, I think it just makes everything a lot more exciting overall because now instead of having five teams tank in every conference, there's only two of them. Yes, definitely. I mean, this year you'll see it like the Pelicans. They weren't expected to do good. They didn't really do good in the first half of the season, but right now they're playing Phoenix for the first round, and I think they're going to put up a decent fight. They probably are going to get swept, but I like the concept of the play-in. Absolutely. The Pelicans are a good basketball team. Like, I was not high on the Pelicans generally on the season because I'm not a believer in Zion, (laughs) and I know Zion sank your fantasy basketball. Oh, yeah. Like you, you having Zion was like the top, it was great on draft day. And then that was your whole season shot, right? There. Yep. I really should have dropped them. But I'm, yeah, exactly. Well, it's tricky, right? Cause it's your best player. But, um, so I wasn't super high on the Pelicans, but CJ can ball and seeing CJ play point guard now, because he was obviously always playing alongside Damian Lillard. CJ is a natural point guard. He's averaging like 25 and eight, like eight assists since he got to the Pelicans. And then you combine that with they have Brandon Ingram, JV. If Zion ever decides to play again, their rookie <laughs> Herb Jones is in the run for Defensive Player of the Year, and he's not going to win it. And actually, I guess they just announced the top three yesterday. And he didn't make the top three, but he might make All NBA first team for defense. The Pelicans have a complete roster. Yeah. Um, do you know who did get nominated yesterday for Defensive Player of the Year? Uh, Defensive Player of the Year is Rudy Gobert. Uh, and then I'll just pull up Rudy Gobert, Mikhail Bridges, and uh, Marcus Smart, actually. Marcus Smart. Which, traditionally, so guards don't win Defensive Player of the Year. Like, the last guard to win was Gary Payton in the 90s <laughs> yeah. or the early 2000s or something. And he, Marcus Smart has spoken out about that, that guards don't win. But guards just don't have the same impact on defense. So... In recent recent non-bigs to win Defensive Player of the Year include Kawhi's won it twice. And Kawhi's obviously, we watched him guard Giannis in the playoffs with, when he was with the Raptors. Kawhi is a stud on defense. And that's why I think Mikhail Bridges could win it this year and the numbers favor him. But guards don't win just because if you're a guard and you're guarding one person on the perimeter and then maybe you jump in as a help defender and get a steal, it doesn't have the same impact on 
as guarding the rim. Every single possession of a basketball game, the ball is going to the rim in one way or another. Oh, for sure. That's why I, I think Rudy Gobert, I mean, he's kind of slept on, but he's the best player in the league in that aspect. He grabs like 14 rebounds a game, probably three plus blocks, and he's a defensive anchor for the Jazz. Absolutely. And I always complain about, I hate the concept of voter fatigue because I feel that when you're electing, like, it's the same thing. Giannis could win MVP every single year. And people say that Giannis, oh, Giannis is just doing what he did last year. But every that's still good enough. Every single season is its own individual season. It's not in comparison to what you've done, right? Oh, yeah. So when I look at that, I'm thinking, like, Rudy Gobert, I'd still pick him as Defensive Player of the Year this year. Maybe. And I know that advanced analytics favor Mikhail Bridges slightly. So that would be maybe maybe he could win it. But Marcus Smart as a guard, I just don't think guards can do enough right now, given how much the bigs do around the paint. Oh, definitely. Um, who was who'd be your take for DPOY this year? Gobert. Gobert. Yeah. I just I think I hate the voter fatigue thing. I think he's just too much of a stud on defense still. Yeah. I mean, it sounds kind of like a boring so, pick, but he is the right choice in my view. It's a safe bet, in my opinion. So. After that little side tangent here, let's jump into the playing game. So my favorite thing is the Timberwolves, who won their first or won their second playing game, and celebrating like they won the championship. Hey, I'm all for like, that. Pat Bev was up on the scorers table, like they were running around, they were cheering, everybody was so hyped. And mind you, the Timberwolves don't normally make the playoffs, and I know it's like Cat Cats only made the playoffs. This might be only his second time or something. Anthony Edwards first time in the playoffs. But they were having a party. Like, it was like they won the conference finals or something. Oh, yeah. No, I I don't play. I, I'm not going to put a knock on them at all. You know what? Celebrate as hard as you want. It might not be the NBA finals, but, you know, it's emotional. Pat Bev got traded from the Clippers last year, and he deserves it. Yeah, which I guess that was probably exciting for him personally. And he played a great game. Like, I know I'm so I'm not a huge fan on Pat Bev just because of the offensive limitations <laughs> of him. It's like he can't do he can't doesn't shoot the ball very well. He's not he's very small like generally speaking, so he can't like he didn't dunk or anything. But he is a player that you want on the on the court guarding a guard in the last 5 minutes of the fourth quarter in any game. Oh, definitely. He's a pest. I mean, that's the best way to describe him. He's a pest. Um I, and when there was about Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say how Westbrook described him. He's Westbrook's like, yeah, he just runs around the court and pretends to play defense. But I think he does a little more than that now. He, he d- Yeah, I think he does a great job. And it's interesting because when you look at him, so there was about a minute and a half left, and the Clippers were up by about four, so the game was probably over. But in this last moment, Reggie Jackson came running up the floor, and Pat Bev just stripped the ball right, of his, right out of his hands and went the other way, and that was the dagger play. And when you look at that, Marcus Smart does the same thing for the Celtics. You just, that's the player you want. It's, they're not useless throughout the whole game because obviously they play good defense. But to me, they're a net zero for a lot of the game because the defense that Pat Bev plays throughout the game is great. But then he scores few points, doesn't shoot the ball at a great percentage. So it costs you on the other side when he can't hit the open shot. Yeah. So he's a net zero throughout the game, but when you get into those late game situations, those defensive scrappy guards who I guess, like you said, described as a pest, that's who I want on the court. Oh, definitely. I think, I mean, this is going to be getting away from the playing game a little bit, but at least on the Raptors, we're big Raptors fans. 
I think Gary Trent Jr., he's one of the best in the league with doing that as well. Yeah, and he's like, I've quickly started to love Gary Trent Jr. Initially, I was a fan, like, I love Norman Powell. And I know, I understand, I always describe that trade as a changing of timelines. Mm -hmm. So, like, Gary Trent Jr., in my opinion, is going to end up as good as Norman Powell was. I know a lot of people have higher aspirations for Trent Jr., but frankly, Norman Powell last season on the Raptors had one of the highest three-point percentages in the league. He's a pretty good defender. He can get to the rim. And when he played as a starter, his stats were always elevated in comparison to coming off the bench. So I don't actually personally think that Trent has a higher ceiling than Norman Powell did or does, or I guess you'd argue Norman Powell's at his ceiling. Mm -hmm. But to change the timelines, and now that I've seen Tent Trent play a little bit more, I'm really pleased with what I've seen from him on the court. Oh, definitely. Especially this year, though. I mean, last year, at least when I was looking at the numbers, he didn't have great defensive numbers. Um, he would be either hot and cold, go three for 19, or maybe like seven for nine in a game. But this year, I think right. like he's definitely stepped up his consistency. And really going back to Pat Bev, I mean, like Pat Bev will give you the defense, but he won't ever go seven for nine on threes or you know, have a, have a good right. offensive showing. So that's the trade-off for him. Well, and that's why you hit it bang on. Like Gary Trent, to me, even though in the last two minutes of the game, Gary Trent, in my opinion, wouldn't have as much of an effect on the game as Pat Bev was, or Pat Bev will or would. But given what he can do throughout the rest of the game, I'd actually rather have a Gary Trent than I would Pat Bev. Definitely. I, yeah, I mean, I think Pat Bev is more of a role player. But Trent, like, you can have him in your in your starting lineup. And especially, too, like, we're lucky. We The problem is the Raptors are such a weird team this year, which I guess now we'll transition to Raptors Sixers and move back <laughs> to the playing game. We're so big in terms of, like, everybody's 6'8", except we don't have a center, so we're not that big. And then Gary Trent and Freddie are both kind of small. So, like, we're big at small forward, but small at guard. So we're kind of like this weird mixed bag team. And I don't know if you saw this or not, but... So the Raptors got cranked in game one against the Sixers. It was absolutely disgusting. The entire game it was never close. And Embiid landed on Scotty Barnes's ankle. And Scotty Barnes is now going to miss game two. And Thad Young is going to miss game two. And Gary Trent, who looked awful the entire game, turns out he's battling a non-COVID illness. And he's probably going to miss game two. So game two is basically already a wash. And then we're going to go back to Toronto down 0-2. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, hey, in the playoffs, I mean, anything can happen. Um, it certainly does not look good for the Raptors. But still, I would not be surprised if they make it close this time. Um, I'm not I, sure. I'm voting on another blowout. You're voting on another blowout? Well, I think the spread... I think it's going to be a blowout. The spread's, what, seven and a half points? Something like that? Yeah. Yeah. So... It's, it's going to be interesting. I don't know. I'm really lost for... I'm just so disappointed because if we're going to switch everything, right, and we have Achua and Boucher and Siakam and Barnes, and we're going to switch, 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 and OG as well, losing one player out of that rotation when we're already up against a center like Embiid, who's frankly obviously top three in MVP, it'd be different if we were in a series where the best center was like Nurkic or yeah. something. But I think losing another player out of that rotation of switching everything, and then also I guess losing Thaddeus Young too, I think that's really going to hurt us over 48 minutes tonight. Oh, definitely. I'm not sure what the Raptors, like, their game logs were against Embiid for the year. But at least listening to Nick Nurse, like, little tidbits, what he says, 
He says you basically just have to try and wall him off, like him or Giannis, the guys who are really dominant and get to the rim. And if you lose your biggest player, a 20-year-old Scotty Barnes, another 6'8 player, Thaddeus Young, you know, that job gets a lot harder when you have Chris Boucher trying to trying to guard Joel Embiid. Well, that's exactly it. And the problem is, like, when you're walling off, it's the same with walling off Giannis. You're never going to wall off Giannis and stop him from scoring or something. But with these star players, you just have to stop them from scoring 36. Yeah. Like, if you can hold Kyrie or KD or Giannis or Embiid or pick your, pick your poison on any other player, if you can hold them to 28, eight and four on like a relatively inefficient shooting split that's fine i was watching the celtics and nets yesterday which that's been the best game of the playoffs so far came all the way down to the end and the nets were down by like 10 for most of the game and then Kyrie hit like three threes in a row at the start of the fourth quarter with katie on the bench they battled it all the way down to the end and then the nets blow coverage and Tatum just gets like an easy bucket at the rim with time with no time on the clock to end the game and Celtics win by one. But in a game like that, the problem is the Nets have nobody to guard Tatum. Like maybe you can put Durant on him, but as a full-time, like if Durant goes off the floor or something, they have nobody to guard Tatum. And Tatum, at the end of the first quarter, end of the second quarter, he had like one shot taken. Like he'd hit three free throws or something, and he'd taken one shot, but he already had like seven assists. So then you end up with Jason Tatum, where now you're in the fourth quarter, and he still he figured out his scoring, started taking more shots. So now he has 31 points and also 10 assists, and that's when you really reach a problem against teams like that. And the Raptors have to avoid doing that against Embiid. Oh, for sure. I think, well, Tatum yesterday, I, like you said, throughout the whole game, he didn't really take too many shots. But I think at one point it was on the 17 baskets made by the Celtics, I think 15 of them had assists. So they're sharing the right. they're sharing the basketball. The offense was flowing, and I mean, is there really a, a good defense to that? I mean, you can try and wall off the best players, but I mean, Maxi going off against the Raptors for thirty eight, you know, he had to have some yeah. open looks, you know, maybe drives to the rim. It's just kind of hard to contain that. Well, and that's the situation. I thought the Raptors and the Nets looked the same against their respective teams, which is that. You forget how aggressive and intense playoff games are in comparison to regular season games. Like, it's not even close. And I thought both the Raptors and the Nets just frankly looked outmatched throughout the entire game. Yeah, I'd agree with like you. Like, you see, if, if you look at the Celtics, like I was watching the Celtics yesterday, and, like, the Nets are able to force them. Like, they get the ball out of Tatum's hands. He swings it to Brown. They close out on Brown. And then they get all the way over, and like now the ball goes to Derek White in the corner. And Derek White is like a solid NBA player, right? Versus on the other end, when the Nets, they, kick, they get the ball to Kevin Durant's hands, it goes to Kyrie, Kyrie kicks it, and you have like Bruce Brown in the corner. There's a big gap from Derek White shooting the corner three to Bruce Brown. And if you extend that over 48 minutes, I thought that the Nets just look like they're not going to win a championship. Like the, the, They're too outmatched player for player. And when you see, it was the same against the Cavs in the playing game. When you look at the situation they're in where they have Kyrie and Kevin Durant both playing like 41 minutes, and Kyrie was extremely efficient and hit like two big clutch threes with 10 minutes to go in the fourth to bring the game within contention, and they still lost. Yeah. And against the Cavs, 
same thing. Like Kyrie and Kevin Durant both had great games. They played tons of minutes, and they barely beat the Cavs without Jared Allen. So there's no doubt in my mind that the Nets will steal a few games, but they're not winning a championship. Oh, no. I mean, hypothetically, say they do get past Boston, you think they're going to be able to match up against Milwaukee as well? I mean, I wouldn't think so. KD and Kyrie, they can, I mean, like, they were down 15 this past game. They can carry you back, but carrying you to a championship, it's a whole different matter. It's a team effort for that. Well, the interesting thing is Kevin Durant said at the end of last year in an interview that had they beaten the Milwaukee Bucks on the shot where his toe was on the three-point line, and they didn't, they obviously they got beat by the Bucks, and the Bucks went on to win it all. Katie said that people always say to him, Oh, like you guys would have won the championship if you gotten past the Bucks. And he was like, No, like Kyrie Irving, there was no chance Kyrie was coming back apparently because of his ankle. And like Kevin Durant said that he was playing 40, he averaged 46 minutes a game. <laughs> so he was like, I was gassed, Kyrie wasn't coming back. Like, he's like, There was no chance that we were actually going to win anything after how we gotten past the Bucks. Yep. And to me, the Nets look the same this year. Now, the big difference between the Nets and the Lakers is if you look at the Nets, they have a good team. The people just aren't on the court. So, like, when you look at the Nets, Joe Harris out for season, a total sniper, which not only does that give them a little bit of size, but it spreads the floor out a little bit more because Joe Harris, like, he's led the league in three-point percentage, so he can snipe from anywhere. And if you're dumping to him for the corner three, that's a bucket. LaMarcus Aldridge, who was having actually a relatively efficient and solid offensive season, he's out. So they're missing, like, that's two major players right there. And then obviously not to mention Ben Simmons. Yep. So even if you come back, let's say Ben Simmons is now, like, a fringe all-star for the rest of his career. Like, kind of near the all-star game, but never really makes it. Kind of like a CJ McCollum. Yep. If you get a CJ McCollum level player out of Ben Simmons, and then they still have Aldridge, and they have Joe Harris coming back, that's a good basketball team versus the Lakers. Everybody's old. They have no picks, no assets left, and they're screwed. Definitely. Well, staying on the Nets, I mean, I'm not sure sure if you know the answer to this, but at least last year in the playoffs, like Blake Griffin was the man guarding Giannis, and he just doesn't play this year. Right. Oh, yeah, I forgot Blake's not playing. Either. So at least for me, I mean, they probably have their reasons, but like he would be the guy. I don't know if you'd guard Tatum in this series, but at least he can match up somewhat physically. Compared to Durant or anybody yeah. else. That's true as well. And the interesting thing, too, with the Nets is, like, when you watch them against the Celtics, like, they have Seth Curry, Kyrie Irving, and Patty Mills all on the court at the same time. And based on how their rotations work, and like, on defense, like, sometimes they end up with Seth Curry guarding the paint. Yeah. So, like, they're playing a zone, and they've got, like, Claxton's on the top with Tatum, right? And if Claxton's the only big on the floor, they've got Claxton on Tatum, and then KD is on Al Horford, and Al Horford's in the corner. And then all of a sudden, the way everybody's spread out, Seth Curry's in the paint. So then you have Jalen Brown, like, crashing through Kyrie Irving. And then the help defender is Seth Curry. So, like, there's no there's no help defender. Like, no offense to Seth Curry. But there's no help defender there. So then they have the Celtics, who, as soon as they get by their primary defender, it's just, it's a breakaway to the basket. Yeah. And, I mean, again, that's how they got 15 assists on the 17 field goals. At least, I, I don't know when that right. was in the game, but, like, that's pretty good. No, exactly. So to me, the Nets, like the Nets are not going to win this year because Kyrie and KD have to do too much to even almost steal a game against the Celtics, let alone win the championship or win a series even. I don't think they'll get past the Celtics. But I have so much more hope for the Nets going forward than I do the Lakers. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
just because the Nets have actual assets, and they're actually, like, when the Nets say they're riddled by injuries, that's actually true. Versus when the Lakers are like, oh, we're riddled by injuries. Anthony Davis isn't playing. I'm like, yeah, but you still only have Anthony Davis and LeBron in a kind of okay Russell Westbrook. No, definitely. <laughs> I mean, the whole year, at least Charles Barkley would rip on the Lakers for being old geezers. I think they're the oldest team in the league by average age of at least like three years. They don't have any draft picks until, or first rounders until like, what, 2027? 20, Something crazy yeah, like 27. that. And, I mean, they just have no assets to get younger. Like, Exactly. So I think they'll have to do the reverse of the Russell Westbrook trade, which is trade Russell Westbrook for like a few different contracts that aren't as bad, like a Kuzma type deal, which actually Kuzma had a good year this year Mm -hmm. in his rebound in Washington. But like, I think they'll have to trade for contracts like that or like one of the Morris brothers or something like a contract where the guy's making 22 million, but not really like shouldn't be getting 22 million anymore. Maybe like a Nurkic kind of deal. Yeah. And then that'll slowly, the further they break down, so like they'll take Russell Westbrook and they'll break it into a few players and then break those few players into picks or something. And not that that'll fix their problem, but I think you might as well, if you're going to have Westbrook, or if you're going to have LeBron and AD, you might as well just have LeBron and AD because I actually think Westbrook is really a net zero, but he's really an expensive net zero mm-hmm. for the team. Like, I think for the Lakers, so that... I, I think they've screwed it up so bad. If I was Rob Palenka right now, like the only choice I would see is to blow the team up. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but Westbrook's around for another year. I think James has another year in his contract. I don't know about AD, but I don't think they're winning anything anytime soon. So would you blow up the entire team, like dump LeBron and AD too, or just keep LeBron and AD and move the pieces around? Uh, no, I would, I would trade everything. Get value while you can out of LeBron. And AD, because um, I mean LeBron, I'm not sure what he's gonna do, but he really wants to play with Bronny. So if Bronny does not go to the Lakers, right. and he really <laughs> wants to play with Steph Curry, yes, Steph Curry too. Matt <laughs> LeBron, Steph, Bronny, all on the same team. <laughs> Might as well throw KD on there just for fun. Yeah, I'm sure we'll he'd re- do it. We'll recreate the 2018 Warriors, except we'll do LeBron. <laughs> Yeah, and honestly, the blowing up the Lakers, that's an interesting approach. And I know I've heard it bounced around a few different times now. And you have to remember, the Lakers won a championship. So, like, that's enough where the Raptors won a championship and they partially blew everything up and kind of kept what they could. Like, obviously, they got rid of Gasol and they got rid of Ibaka and Kawhi. Danny Green is gone. But if you look at the Lakers, like, they won the chip. So if they do blow everything up, I actually don't think that's unreasonable. The only thing for me is LeBron, even at his current age, is not like other superstars to me. Like LeBron is LeBron James. So it's not like having, like I'm trying to think, maybe a Giannis or something or Kawhi even where you might win another or you might not. But like LeBron goes to the finals like every other year or every year potentially, right? So he's like that little bit above other superstars to me. Or it's kind of like Damon Harden. Like, Damon Harden, you might win one, you might not. You might make the finals, might not kind of thing, or the conference finals. But to break the team down and get rid of LeBron, I can't decide if that's worth the price to me. Yeah. I I mean, like, I just don't see any other option for the team to go. Like, if, say, you keep LeBron, you keep AD, you keep Westbrook, what do you do? Sign a bunch of 32-year-olds again to one-year deals? Like... 
staff, <laughs> the develop better talent. I don't even know. They're really stuck. Yeah, you lost like, your head coach as hunt. well. Vogel's gone. Yep. And they've said they're going to have a new coach by the draft, which I don't know what they're going to do about that yet. They want Nick Nurse. I wrote um, if anybody's <laughs> interested, go check out the Raptors Cage site. I wrote a poem to try to keep Nick Nurse around, and I think it was a phenomenal piece of work. So if you go check that out. It actually got a lot of views, too. So go check that out on the Raptors Cage site. I have my own page there. But so I don't know. The Lakers are in a tricky situation, and I. I know we talk about the Lakers a lot, even though like they're not in the playoffs. I guess the basketball community, the Lakers are just the center of the world. But I more brought the Lakers up to ex- to comparatively show that the Nets are actually in a great position. And the Nets aren't going to do anything this year, but I think going forward, they're cruising. But the bigger thing for me is just Kyrie and KD are both complete studs. Like, I was, I've been down on Kyrie and KD at various points throughout my basketball life on like Kyrie not playing defense, Kyrie not getting vaccinated and being away from basketball. KD talks too much on Twitter. Like there's various things. But when you watch the Nets play with both of those two players on the court, let alone the fact that they don't have like a Joe Harris around them and like Kyrie and Seth Curry are getting pinned on defense. They're both just so dangerous offensively. And then not only that, they both make clutch plays. Like, KD had, like, three blocks. Kyrie had five steals. Jeez. They're walking they're buckets. Win- exactly. And they're winning players. Which, that really stands out to me as an athlete. Because, obviously, if you look at Harden, Harden's proven himself to not be a winning player. <laughs> and, frankly, while Dame's never had the talent around him, Dame's also not a winning player. Yeah. Because, like, nobody's really won anything with Dame. Like, they've made, I think they made the conference finals once. But Kyrie and KD, not only are they buckets on offense, but they're winning players on both sides of the floor when it matters. Oh, definitely. I mean, I don't know really about Kyrie, but KD, he can hold his own defensively. Like last game, at least the commentators were were giving him some praise in the paint. You know, he didn't shut Tatum down, but like he can somewhat limit him down there. But I'm really interested Which to see nobody Ben can Simmons shut Tatum if they're Tatum the is also alive a player when Ben that Simmons comes back. Yeah, well, maybe. And we'll have to see what kind of minutes Ben Simmons is playing. But Tatum's also a player that I've noticed has really, really improved this year. Like, because I used to think of, and even actually earlier in this season, I'm quoted on the In the Clutch podcast talking about how, like, Tatum and Brown switching, playing iso ball back and forth, like, just taking turns isn't going to work and Tatum's not maximizing his ability because of that. But watching them play now since January 25th ish, since they've gone on this big run to move themselves into the two seed, watching them play now and the acquisition of Derek white to kind of have another primary ball handler to take the ball out of Tatum and Brown's hands. I think now I can really see that Tatum could be like, they talk about always who's the future of the NBA after LeBron and Steph. And I really see now Tatum in that conversation. That's a pretty big take there. I think Tatum's really, really yeah. good. But, like, do you think on level of, like, a KD? Well, KD will move out. I think more interesting that you have to say, is he on the level of Luka or Ja? Right. And, well, I guess you could say Jan because Giannis is obviously a little bit younger than KD and Braun and company. But to me, I consider, like, Braun and Steph and KD, Kyrie, Dame, all of those players to be, like, they're all 32, 33 and older, and they're all going to move out of the league together. Mm-hmm. So then is it Giannis's league or maybe Jokic? Or then you get down to like Luka and Ja. And I'd actually, based on what I'm seeing from this playoff run so far, 
I'd start to put Tatum in that conversation. Definitely. I mean, I've always liked Tatum. He has gotten some knacks for being an iso ball type of player. And right. even at the start of this year, I'm not sure if you remember, but I think it was after like the second or third game, like Marcus Smart called them out. He's like, I'm hanging in the corner waiting for open shots, but nobody's passing me the ball. And then he called out his teammates. And they've come a long Which, way since then. Yeah, which I didn't understand that because Marcus Smart calling out his teammates, which I guess you're right. Like now they've made it work. So all the power to them. But Marcus Smart calling out his teammates like he's a good decision maker and shooter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like at the time you'd see Marcus Smart gets frustrated and then he just like hucks up a weird three or something like a step back deep two. So like. I don't think Marcus Smart has the clout to call out teammates based on what's happening on offense. No. I I mean, he's a role player on offense. But then again, like, I mean, he probably just wants to win, right? And in the end... Yeah, and frankly, they're making it happen right now. So I guess I can't complain anymore. Oh, definitely. And even, like, I'm surprised, like, my favorite player on the Celtics has always been Rob Williams ever since last year. And now that he's gone... I mean, they brought in Daniel Tice, but they're still making it work. Like, it doesn't look like they have a weakness around defending the paint. And Rob Williams was also really high in the Defensive Player of the Year voting, and he'll probably make All-NBA first team for defense. And I think initially when he went down, which I haven't watched a lot of Celtic basketball because they always beat the Raptors, which makes (laughs) me sad. So initially when Rob Williams went down, I'd peg the Nets to win the series. But now I'm kind of reverting where I've watched a little bit more Celtics basketball. And I'm like, wow, the Celtics through and through are just really, really solid. So even like when they get Rob Williams back, great. All the more power to them. They'll be even stronger defensively. But even without Rob Williams, I'm really confident in what the Celtics are going to be able to do this playoff run. Oh, for sure. Um, I'm not really sure. Do you know when he's like slated to come back if he is? Uh, mid-second round was the last update I saw. Okay, I mean, that's not So, like, game far. three or something in the second round. Obviously, it'll be better for the Celtics if they whip through the Nets in, like, five games because that'll buy them some time off where the whole team can kind of, like, rehab and stuff like that and practice a little bit more. So that kind of favors. Because if you're trying to... If you're going into game seven against the Nets, you might consider playing Rob Williams early, right? Yes. Versus if they get if they get them done in five, a whole bunch of the other series will probably go seven because it's a pretty close playoffs. Then that gives you a little bit more buffer time to figure out what you're going to do with Rob Williams. For sure. So I think that would make their lives a little bit easier. So speaking of, as I went down, I just realized I left somebody important off the list of future names of the league or faces of the league. Trey Young did in his play-in game exactly what Tatum did against the Nets yesterday, which was every time he touched the ball in the first half, they just double teamed him. And Trey Young had like eight assists in the first half and had taken like very few shots. And to me, that really stands out. And then he did it again in his second playing game. And I bet against the Hawks, both against the Hornets and against the Cavs, I said both games, all the Hawks are going to lose. No way. And I will. I won't bet against Trey Young. Like in a game like that. Like obviously, I'm gonna bet against the Hawks against the Heat in the first round. Yes. The Heat are phenomenal. But in a one-off game like that, or against a team that's fairly equivalent, Trey Young is just such an incredible decision maker. Yeah, he's the best like, player on if the you floor. Need him to... Exactly. And if you need him to score forty, he'll score forty. And if you need him to have twenty points and fourteen assists, he'll do that too. So every time he faced the double, he just moved the ball out of his hands. And they don't even have John Collins. 
So add another player that he can move the ball out of his hands to who's actually pretty good. And they surround him with shooters. Like, they have Herter out there and Bogdanovich. And Collins is a great three-point shooter from the corner. Then that's a really threatening team. And you can see why they went all the way to the conference finals last year. Yeah, definitely. I think, I mean, as a team, I don't like the Hawks. Like, I don't think they're good enough defensively. But in these situations, like, I mean, everybody says, oh, a hostile environment. Game one, it's like a half-court game the whole time. I mean, that's that is Trey Young's bread and butter. Uh, like he can right. win you the game like that. He can do whatever. I mean, he he might not be as efficient as most other players. I think he shot like sub league average on threes this year. But right. like he can hit them from anywhere. He can score anywhere on the court. Right off that pick and roll. I mean, Capella's well, gone right now, but he can either do the teardrop or the lob like to Capella. Oh, sorry, I cut you off there. When you look at a player like Trey Young, it's really interesting because he's the opposite. Like, mind you, Trey Young's a superstar. Or, no, I'm, actually, I'm going to walk that back. Trey Young's an all star. He's not a superstar yet. <laughs> but he's the opposite of Pat Bev, where Trey Young is a huge liability. He's like, <laughs> in terms of individual defense, he's literally statistically like the worst yes. in the league. But it's the same thing where if I have two minutes to go in the fourth quarter, and I have the ball, I want Trey Young out on the floor in the same way that if I don't have the ball, I want Pat Bev out there. So when you get a player who's such a specialist on either end of the floor, you just have to keep the game close. Yeah, they can steal it for you. The, exactly. Like if the game's right there, then yeah, give the ball to Trey Young. Let alone like if he has already 24 and 10, that's great. And I'm sure that's what helped you keep the game close. But he's also probably cost you a lot of points on defense. But if the game is like if the game is there, great. Then that's when you have Trey Young, or that's when you have your Marcus Smarter, Pat Bev, and to have a player who's not an All Star or not a superstar, but can help you win the game. I always think that's huge. Yes, but then I guess that kind of goes both ways, though. If you're, you know, a Game Seven in a playoff series, and you do have Trey Young, like he's gonna get hunted for matchups, or just like on offense. I mean, they'll leave Pat Bev open for open threes, and in the same way, it right. might cost you. But I mean. And that's where, to me, coaching really comes in, is how are you? what scheme can you run to hide your bad players? Which, that's what Steve Kerr has done for a really long time very well, right? Is Steve Kerr, mind you, he had a great team. So obviously there's, Dr- there's Draymond and Clay, who are both phenomenal defenders, and a 2018 Iguodala, phenomenal defender. So then whoever they put at center, then you can just hide Steph Curry. So Steph Curry's always guarding like the Pat Bev in the corner or like a Larry Nance type player in the corner. And then if anybody drives on Curry, you just have Draymond come in and help and stop it, which it helps obviously to have a Hall of Fame defender on the court with you. But I think it's easier to hide at the NBA level anyways. It's easier to hide a bad defender than it is to hide a poor player on offense. It's like, I'd rather have Trey Young and be hiding him on defense, guarding the corners or guarding the ball on top and having to bring in extra help than I would to have, a, which obviously it's not fair to compare Pat Bev to Trey no. Young because obviously Pat Bev's not at the same level, <laughs> but I'd rather have that than leaving Pat Bev open in the corner and having him miss nine threes or Westbrook, leaving Westbrook <laughs> open in the corner and having to miss nine threes. No, you're definitely right right there. So I think it's easier to hide somebody on defense. And as long as they don't get into foul trouble, then you're 
cruising and they'll offer you 24, 24 points and 10 assists is like 44 points for your team or something or 38 points for your team, right? So they're not going to cost you 38 points on defense. And I mean, just talking about this makes me think about like the championship teams. I mean, the Bucks, like they wouldn't last year, but then you go back to, I mean, they played the Suns in the finals. Like those teams, like when it's clutch time, I don't think they have players that'll just miss like break open threes, like liability is like they're complete. They all, you know, they're in rhythm. They hit their shots. I mean, they don't have a Pat Bev offensive type player, but if you want to win a championship, I mean, the Nets obviously don't have this. You need to make those shots and have those type of players. Well, that's exactly it. And if you look at like the, if you date it, like you're exactly right. If you date it back through the years, so the Bucks, Drew Holiday, they had Middleton, Brooke Lopez can shoot the three pretty well from the corner. Giannis last year couldn't shoot the three <laughs> great, like 29% or something, but he's Giannis, so it's okay. And then they had Grayson Allen out there. Grayson Allen's a good shooter. And then if you roll back before that, year before that, the Lakers for the Lakers, LeBron and AD, I think they were starting Dwight Howard at center. And like LeBron and AD pick and roll is enough to just win you a series right there. <laughs> Not to mention they had like other better role players around. And then if you date back the year before that, the Raptors, everybody could shoot. Yes. Like you'd Kyle, Kyle, Danny Green, you'd Freddie could shoot. Kawhi can shoot. Serge Ibaka can shoot well for a center. Gasol can shoot well for a center. Siakam can shoot. Like we didn't, Norman Powell was great. We didn't have a player that couldn't hit an open shot. Yes. So anytime you left somebody open because you quadruple teamed Kawhi, you got burned. No, literally. <laughs> and that was the whole premise for making it count for us, right? So I think when you get into a situation, it's so disappointing too. And you see it with the Sixers with Matisse Thibel, where as like the team on offense, you get a wide open shot and you just, you know, it's not going in. Yeah. Like if it's shot by Thibel or if it's shot by Pat Bev or sometimes Marcus Smart's like that, like he got two open threes in a row yesterday, like open three offensive rebound, open three right again. And he missed both of them. And like, it's so disappointing as a fan to watch that and know that that's just how it is for your team. <laughs> you know, it's missed before it even go, gets thrown out. <laughs> exactly. And sometimes you can tell too, by the angle, like you see it shot from the corner and you know, it's going to hit like it's too far left and it's going to hit the front of the rim and roll out, even though it was shot from the corner. And it's just like, especially like if it's in the fourth quarter or something, you're so excited when you get an open three and then you can just feel yourself deflating when you know it's not going to go. Oh yeah. And you know, not only is it not going to go just because it was a bad shot, but because you have a player who's a liability on offense. Oh, definitely. So, I mean, while we're here, I, we kind of got off topic a little bit, but I mean, I want to keep talking about this uh, Celtics-Nets series. because so I think every game, like, there, there won't be a blowout. They're all going to be within five no, points. Mean, every game will be incredible. It's a tricky series to bet on. Yes, yes. Who do you take in game two? I have not decided yet. Game two is not until yeah Wednesday. Spread I spread out, isn't it? Yeah, and then so there. I think it's because they want to keep Nets Boston prime time as much as they can. <laughs> so they're Wednesday Saturday. Like both games are spread out. So Sunday, Wednesday, Saturday. I honestly haven't decided yet. I need more time to like digest what I saw yesterday, because frankly, how the game ended, I think, is a really accurate depiction of the series where it was a blown coverage for the Nets on defense and Tatum getting an easy bucket. Yeah. And so I don't know who I'm going to pick long-term on that, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. Where are you going? Well, I'll get to that in a second. It kind of leads in after this thing I'm going to say. 
when I was watching game one, I'm thinking, okay, Brooklyn has to win this game or else they're not going to win the series. Like, they're getting outmatched defensively. They need to steal one in Boston. And, of course, it didn't happen. But I think, like, even though they were getting killed, the game was so close. I still think that they have another shot. I mean, I I don't think they'll win the series, but I think they'll win this next game. It's just KD and Kyrie will both go off if, you know, they don't get locked down, which... It pretty much happens when you're playing the Celtics. Right. So I would I would then, take the Nets this next game. And then 1-1 going back to Brooklyn, I think, is huge for the Nets. Definitely. Because given, obviously, it's really disappointing if you are the Nets. The game one was so close, but you still lost. So to be able to steal one in the Garden, which obviously the Garden in Boston, both for the Bruins and for the Celtics, is a really tough place for opposing teams. To steal one and take it back to Brooklyn, I think that puts you in a stronger situation for the overall series. So I'm not going to, I'm not even going to go as far to say, I'm not going to make some big quote like, Oh, if the Nets lose game two, the series is over or (laughs) vice versa. Because like you said, every game is just going to be so close that there's no way to like predict it one way or the other, in my opinion. No, for sure. I mean, I'm just trying to find it right now. I can't really do it, but I don't think the Nets were that good at home this year. So it's, at least to me, it's not well the same impact. To be fair, Kyrie Irving didn't play it. <laughs> that home. is true. That is, yeah, that is, that is true. So that, that kind of, because Kyrie couldn't play at home until like the final two weeks of the season or four weeks of the season or something. Yeah, right. So that, that hurts your home record a little bit more. Yeah, just a little bit. But um, the other thing that's really stood out to me so far in the playoffs, which I'm trying to remember as I think back, if playoffs are always like this or not, but the fouls have been brutal like carl anthony towns and the timberwolves in their playing game like their first playing game like cat fouled out with like seven minutes to go in the fourth quarter and there were a whole bunch of other starters on both teams at like four and five yeah like four and five fouls respectively and then i watched memphis and the timberwolves which by the way i think that's a sneaky exciting series because i think even though memphis is the two seed they're really young and it's kind of like for a lot of them, their first kind of shot at the playoffs. And then it's the same for Minnesota. Yep. So I think even though Memphis is the two seed, that's a sneaky, exciting series. But like, same thing there. Like, both teams were just in disgusting foul trouble. And then yesterday, the, the Celtics game, Bruce Brown got into foul trouble early. Drummond got into foul trouble. Like, I think Tice might have been in foul trouble. And then Horford got in foul trouble. And they brought Tice back in because Horford was in foul trouble. Like, there have just been, in all of the games, like, without fail, somebody in the first quarter has three fouls. Yeah. And then by the second quarter, there's, like, two people, one with four and one with three. And then you get to the third quarter, and there's, like, a five, a four, and two threes on each team. Like, every single game, it's been foul after foul after foul after foul. And players are, like, seeing their minutes limited just because of that. Do you think, I mean, because of that, all these fouls, do you think the refs are calling the game right? Or do you think, I mean, just to keep the star players on the court, well, maybe not even star players, but at least, you know, starters on the court, they should be a little bit more lenient with their calls. Well, I think some of the fouls, well, a lot of the fouls, frankly, I guess, they're calling right. Like they are but fouls. Where I see the, yeah, they are fouls. But like watching the Celtics game yesterday, they were just letting like, coming around every single screen, they were just letting the Celtics mug Kyrie and Katie. Yeah. 
like just bash them and swipe at the ball and hit them in the wrists and stuff every time they came around a screen. So like a lot of like the charges and stuff were fouls and the shooting fouls and all that kind of stuff. But then also like I'm seeing an extra like or an extra couple illegal screen fouls and stuff like that per game. And that's when you see a player who'd normally be at three fouls. Now he's at four or five, right? Mm -hmm. Is when they call like some weird illegal screen thing or a loose ball, an extra like loose ball foul. So I think I'm seeing like it's the same amount of shooting fouls, but both teams and not just for the Nets Celtics game, but for a lot of the games I've seen, both teams are in bonus with like six minutes to go on a court. Yeah. Yeah. Like Nets Celtics. Exactly. I'm not sure what time it was in the game. I think it was like, halfway through the second quarter and they're like yeah there's been 26 fouls in the game so far it's like jesus and it's been tricky for the nba because over saturday sunday and easter and he's and good friday as well i guess they've been running like a one o'clock game and then a 330 game and then a six o'clock game and then an 830 game and then like a 1030 game if they need it like depending on how many teams play and you can literally see like two and a half hours for a regular season game is fine. The game's done in two hours, and 21 minutes, Mm -hmm. but all of the games are running late because there's so many fouls. So like the Raptors game, if you tune into the feed, it's like a 24 minute late tip off. Like they're almost, even though the game starts at six, it's almost six 30 by the time we're tipping off because we're waiting for the other game to finish because the the NBA obviously wants it. So you can watch every minute of every broadcast. Mm -hmm. And we're waiting for the other game to finish, but because there are so many fouls on every single game of the day, the broadcasts are literally falling behind. Yes. No, definitely. I mean, we went to... So that's something I've noticed. I was just going to say, like, we all went to, you know, went out to go watch the game, and it's like, oh, yeah, 6 o'clock start time for the Raptors. It's past 6.30 and still haven't started. I know. And I got a notification on my phone because I was watching the Timberwolves game before. And I got a notification on my phone that the Raptors feed was live. So then I switched over, even though I wanted to see the final five minutes of the Timberwolves game. And when I got over to the other TSN channel, I was like, oh, no, they're just like talking about stuff and killing time. They kept going back to Kate Burness in studio and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, we're fine. I've got some time here. Oh, yeah. So then that's when I realized, yeah, they're not going to start the other game. Like, they're not going to start the Raptors game until the Timberwolves game is done. And at least. But um, the other thing, too, is I've seen a lot of players take really dumb fouls drummond like yeah drummond (laughs) like that was exactly it that was his third or his fourth and he like they didn't get the rebound and he just mugged the guy from behind yeah so that's clearly a foul and same thing like carl anthony towns was at four and then he just tried to like steamroll through three people (laughs) like head down like just bashing through so that's his fifth foul and then his sixth foul came in a similar way and like as a whole and jaron jackson jr did one too where same thing, like he just made a poor decision when he was already sitting on three or four fouls. And that's like, when you talk about winning basketball, that's another thing that really stands out to me is some players can do it and some can't. Is that extra decision-making piece. Yes. I mean, like when you make those type of, like a fouls, like quote unquote, dumb fouls, like it's a lack of awareness for the moment, if that makes sense. I mean, the players are just so into the game that like drumming, it's like, I've oh, got to fight for the rebound as hard as I can. That's like, well, maybe you shouldn't get your fourth foul with four minutes left in the second quarter. Just let it go. And especially given, like, you specified for Drummond, he's so valuable for his team because they're already so small. Definitely. Like, they already can't get a rebound, so then to have Drummond also, like you said, like, get that fourth foul, 
it's brutal because even though he's not like a star player, his value to the team is worth more than that, let alone if Carl Anthony Towns does it or Jaron Jackson Jr. or something. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. In a playoff matchup, you need absolutely everyone. Like, and the Raptors, like, we obviously saw that in our big championship run, and you saw it with the Bucks. Like, you just need every single player because on any given night, having one player do an incredible thing could win you an important game. Yeah. And I mean, like, we've, I think we were just talking about this a little bit earlier, but at least in the playoffs, the volume of foul calls are just amplified by the way the game is played and its intensity. So you'll see pretty much almost every playoff game, a few players foul out. Well, and in the regular season, you might have zero. Right, exactly. And you'll see, like, too, lots of players, like, taking charges who you normally don't see take a charge at all. But you'll see them step in and take one. You see people taking charges going over screens and in, like, open court and transition. Like, it's just because there's so much more on the line. It's such a physical game that to pick up that extra random foul can be really costly down the stretch. Oh, for sure. So that's going to bring us to our final point here, which I'm actually not going to go with an interesting tweet of the week or something along those lines. I'm going to go with something funny that I saw, which is I was watching um, a game that Richard Jefferson was calling. I think it was the Minnesota game. And they went and uh, there was a blocking foul and they called it a blocking foul. And it was like, Pretty clearly, upon the first replay, a blocking foul, like when they showed it on the broadcast, I was like, oh, yeah, that's a blocking foul. The player was moving. He didn't get in and set the charge. And block charge is like a tricky thing to challenge anyway because it's kind of more up to discretion. Mm -hmm. So I'd never really use a challenge on a block charge. But the Memphis Grizzlies had their challenge still, and the Timberwolves didn't. And Memphis decided they were going to challenge this call. And they showed the replay on the broadcast. And obviously – it's the assistant coaches on the team that make the call to challenge it. Like they'll signal to the head coach because they're looking at iPads or whatever that we're going to challenge it. Right. Yep. And as they were going to break, Richard Jefferson was commentating the game and he goes, why would you waste a challenge on that? <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was so funny because normally, obviously, and Richard Jefferson's like relatively new to his broadcasting career. But normally you don't hear commentators take a side to that extent, right? Because they're supposed media members are supposed to be more neutral. <laughs> but he just said exactly what I was thinking, which is after watching the replay one singular time, it was very clear. Why would you waste a charge or a challenge on yeah. that? Yeah. Do you know how much time was left in the game for that for that call? Like eight minutes. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it's not even yeah, like a Hail Mary challenge. No, and they literally talked about earlier in advance too that the Timberwolves had already lost their challenge and it was a close game and Memphis has one and the Timberwolves don't and how valuable that is. Yeah. And then boom, like three minutes later, they blew it on some random block charge, which was clearly a block. Like, again, it's just unforced errors. Like, (laughs) only one team can win the chip. And to put yourself in the best situation, don't take dumb fouls, don't waste your charges, don't have lapses, and just give your best shot. Exactly. That's so true. And I just thought it was so interesting the way Richard Jefferson... <laughs> he just called it out. I thought that was hilarious. It was one of my favorite things. Like, I actually laughed out loud while I was watching that game. So um, that's all we've got this week for, I guess, that's episode 17 of the In The Clutch podcast. And the first one with a guest and the first one without Jer. So we loved having you on, Mitch. It was great to have you around this time. Thank you for having me. Really enjoyed it. Absolutely. Let me know if you ever want to come back. Eh? We'd love to get you back. Oh, on sounds here. good. Will do. All right. 
we'd like to thank everybody for listening, and we'll see you next time. Alrighty, go Raps. Absolutely, go Raps, go. <laughs> <laughs>